Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. Wow, thank you. Um, I want to start out today by asking you all a question, uh, just to get our juices flowing here this morning. And then we're going to dive into a passage of scripture that I think will be an encouragement for you. Um, The question is this, can a human being impress God? Can a human being impress God? Now, the reason I wanted to share this passage of scripture with you today is because I think all of us, God wants to encourage us to trust him in or for something maybe like we never have before. And I've even recently went through something like that myself in my life that I'm going to share with you later in the message where I had to trust God in something or for something at a level I never had before. And just to see how God works so encouraged me that I sort of wanted to pass that encouragement along to you. And so this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, uh, if not, the uh, passage is going to be up on the screen uh, anyway. But what I want to do here just at the beginning is to sort of read the passage where we're going to be at this morning, just for all of us to sort of get the flow, the feel for what's happening in this passage. And then I just want to go back and pick out some things in the passage to share with you from my heart this morning. It's the passage about Jesus and the centurion. And here's what Luke writes in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus had finished teaching all this to the people, He entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who was highly regarded, but who was sick and at the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they urged him earnestly, he is worthy to have you do this for him because he loves our nation and even built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not presume to come to you. Instead, say the word, and my servant must be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. I first want to talk about the background of this man, the centurion. I I think that will be an encouragement to many of you today. Because there's lots of us who... Maybe we didn't have the advantage of growing up with Christian parents or in a Christian home or having any kind of Christian education or even going to a church that cracked the Bible and opened the Bible. And so we may look at at, at ourselves at such a disadvantage. Like, oh, if I would have just had that and if, if, you know, would have just had that advantage or whatever. The centurion is a great example of someone who had none of that either. And yet we can see how God worked in and through his life in spite of the fact that he didn't have all that stuff in his life. Remember, he was a Roman, so he grew up in a Roman culture that was polytheistic. He never learned growing up about the one true God. He learned about many gods in the Roman culture. 
And he never heard stories growing up about Abraham and Noah and Moses from the Old Testament. He had no education in the Old Testament at all. But we do understand that he came to a place where he began to hear about this Jesus and where he began to believe in this Jesus. And it was acting on what he knew, not what he didn't know, that really unlocked God working in his life in ways he never saw possible maybe before this and never dreamed of before. See, he's just simply responded to the light that he had. God doesn't expect us to act on what we don't know, but to act on what we know. To respond to the light that we have. To focus and, and put our energy in the things that we already know, rather than worrying about the things and energizing ourselves over the things that we don't know. That was the centurion. That's the background here. That basically he had no formal religious or spiritual background. He came from a pagan background. And yet look at where he's at with God. Look at where his faith is. Look at what God is able to do in his life. And so I, I want to start out with that encouragement that maybe some of you, instead of focusing on your past with regret and pining away for what could have been, don't go there. But focus on where you are now and the knowledge that you have of God now and the light that you have of God now and just focus on that and respond to whatever knowledge and light God has given you now. And when you and I do that, God will always give us more and build more into our lives just like he did a centurion in Rome. The other thing I'd like us to focus on this morning is not just the background of this man, but the character of this man. Certainly God wants to impress and impact our lives so that in turn then we can impact and be an example for others. And that's exactly what happened here. This man at some point began to allow God to impact his life so now he becomes an example to us to learn from and to live by. And one of the things about his character that we can look at is his love. I mean, here's a Roman centurion, a soldier, a tough guy, if you will. A Roman centurion would have been in charge of hundreds, if not thousands, of other Roman soldiers. He was part of the occupational forces of the Roman Empire in the nation of Israel at this time in history. He had lots of power and lots of authority. And they had lots of slaves and lots of servants. And most of them wouldn't even know the name of their servants much less care about whether their servant was sick or whatever. But notice this centurion had such love and care and compassion that he not only knew his servant, he knew that his servant was dying at the point of death. In fact, if you read the parallel passage of this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew adds that it was a very painful death that this young servant was experiencing. We don't know what sickness or disease this young servant had, but it was a very painful death, and now he's at the point of death. And let's also be reminded that if this was his servant, he wasn't a Roman, he was a Jew. And yet it shows us the love, the care, and the compassion that this Roman centurion had for just one of his servants. I came across a definition of compassion years ago that I really like and have held with me. It, it helps me to understand, I think, the concept of compassion. It's your pain in my heart. 
And that's certainly what this centurion was experiencing, was the pain that he saw his servant suffering painfully to the point of death every day that moved him to act and seek help for this young servant boy who was a Jew. Because again, that's what love does too. Love is, from the Bible, it's not just words, it's, it's action, it's, it's deeds. And this centurion loved that one servant in his whole entire household enough that he sought help for that young man. If a centurion in Rome can do that, how much more does God care about each of us individually, values us as a person? And yet, even though God has this whole world to sustain and take care of, yet he still looks at us and cares about us and has compassion upon us as individuals. If a centurion could do that with his household, God can do that with his. So we see his love. We also see his humility. You mean, get the dilemma that this centurion is in. In the social culture and strata and pecking order of his society, he's a Roman centurion. And yet notice that he is willingly placing himself under the authority of a poor Jewish rabbi. How humbling is that? I mean, that's just not something that any Roman soldier would do, much less a centurion. And let's also remember that as a centurion, he would have had access to all the medical knowledge that Rome and the Roman Empire would have had at that point in history. He could have gotten the best medical help, the best medical doctors, anything and everything to try to help this servant. And maybe he did. But the point is he came to a point where he realized there's a limit to their authority and power. But I've come to believe in Jesus that there is no limit to his resources or to his power and authority. So he humbles himself and places himself under the authority of of Jesus Christ because he didn't believe that Jesus was just a poor Jewish rabbi, just a good teacher, just a positive example. He believed that he was God of very God, the very Son of God. He had come to believe what the prophet Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, you alone made heaven and earth. By your great power and mighty strength, nothing is too hard for you. And that's what the centurion came to believe. In fact, you'll notice in the text that his humility caused him not to even seek Jesus himself, that he sent a delegation to Jesus because he says, I'm not worthy to ask you for this. I don't feel worthy. A Roman centurion seeking the help of a poor Jewish rabbi, and yet he did not feel worthy. And yet isn't it interesting that the delegation that he sent to Jesus, they played the worthy card. They said, oh, Jesus, you've got to help this guy. He's a good man. He's deserving of your help. He's helped us build our synagogue, and he's helped us rebuild our nation. And if you're going to help anybody, you need to help this guy. Yet that's not what the centurion said. The centurion said, no, Jesus, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, but I'm just, I'm going to ask, would you help my servant to feel better and to get better? I believe that you can, and I'm just going to ask that you would. Which leads to the last part of his character that I want to focus on this morning, which is that of faith. 
which was the reason why Jesus was amazed, marveled, astonished, impressed, if you will. Yes, the God of the universe who flung the stars out there in space and the planets and who wove us together in our mother's womb and sustains the entire universe is impressed by our faith. That's what impresses God. And yes, I do believe God can be impressed by human beings when we exercise our faith in him. Before we go into a little bit about faith, I I think it's important that I say this. Every human being lives by faith. When I was a young Christian, I would have people approach me and say, "Uh, you Christians, you know, you who follow Christ and choose to follow Christ, that faith thing is good for you, but I don't need God in my life, and I don't need to live by faith. No, every human being lives by faith. Because faith is simply defined as entrusting someone else to do for us what we can't always do for ourselves or want to do for ourselves. So every time you and I go to the doctor or the dentist or get our car fixed or fly on an airplane or go out to eat or whatever, we're exhibiting faith. The question is not do we live by faith, but who is our faith in? What is our faith in? And just like the passage here is is saying to us that here is a man who had all the resources of Rome at his disposal, all earthly resources. He could have exhausted them, and yet he came to understand something, that there's a limit to those resources. There's a limit to what other men and women and things of earth can do for me. And he even got it himself. In fact, he said, this is how I can get Jesus a little bit, because there's a parallel here, he said. I'm a man with people under my authority. He was a Roman centurion, part of the occupational forces in Israel. So he had a wide range of authority in Israel. He had a wide range of authority over his soldiers. He could tell any of his soldiers, do this, and he says, they have to do it, because they're under my authority. And I tell my servants to do this, and they do it, because they're under my authority. But Jesus, I have no authority over sickness and disease and death. That is beyond me. That is beyond anyone else. And that's why I've come to seek your help. Because I realize as a human being that I can have power and authority, but eventually there comes a limit to that power and authority. Eventually there are things that come into my life that are too big for me or any other human being or anything else on earth to be able to handle and fix and heal and help completely. But God, I've come to believe in you. The things that I've heard about you, I have come to believe that you have no limit to your resources. You have no limit to your power. You have no limit to your authority. And this is not something that's above you. You could do this. So I'm coming to ask. You also notice in the passage, and and we don't believe even in the parallel passage, that this man, this centurion, actually ever saw Jesus face to face. He was basing everything that he was asking here on what he had heard, which is why, you know, people say today, well, if if God would just do a miracle or just perform some kind of sign in front of me, I'd believe. Now, there were people throughout history and throughout the Bible who saw God do miracles and still didn't believe. Because it's not belief based upon what I see, it's belief based upon what God tells me. 
Either I believe the word of God or I don't. Either I believe what I hear or I don't. Faith needs no visible evidence to exercise itself. If God is speaking and I respond to it, then that's faith. And my faith is not in a sign or a miracle or anything visible. It is in the word of God. That's why the centurion said, Jesus, if you just say the word, my servant, very important four-letter word, must be healed. Because he believed in the power of the word of God. He said, Jesus, you just say the word, my servant will be healed. See, the reason why this request was also pretty amazing was that this is what I call the first long-distance miracle that Jesus had ever been asked to do. It's not that Jesus hadn't healed anybody up to this point, but Jesus was always present when he did. He always, you know, touched them or prayed over them or whatever. He was always physically present. The faith of this centurion is so big that he says, Jesus, I recognize you're God. You you don't even have to be here. All you have to do is speak the word and my servant must be healed. And that's when Jesus turned to the crowds that were following him and said, I'm amazed at this man's faith. I haven't found that kind of faith, that quality of faith in all of Israel. Think about that, going back to our original point about the background of this centurion. That that even the people who grew up with all the spiritual advantages weren't exercising faith to the level of the centurion who didn't grow up with all those advantages. That the people of Israel who grew up with the Old Testament, who grew up hearing in childhood about all the great exploits of God in the Old Testament through people like Abraham, Noah, and Moses, and you know, all of them, they weren't exhibiting faith on the same level that this centurion. It's, it's like Christians who can be Christians for years and who are still at this level of faith, and yet you can have a young Christian, someone who just gave their life to God, who starts trusting God at this level because they're responding to what they know and they're just responding to the light that God is giving them and yet here's somebody who might have grown up in church, read their Bible from the time they were a child who still struggles to trust and believe and put their faith in God. See, I believe that faith will drive us to anticipate and ask great things from a great God which is exactly what the centurion did. He had come to become convinced, if you will, that God could do this. The only question in his mind was, would God do this? But he asked, because that's what faith does. Faith, at least, will drive us to ask the question. That's why I said at the beginning of this message, I'm hoping that God would use this message to encourage us all to maybe trust God for something or in something to a level we never have before. No matter how big or how small. Because I believe that my God cares about even the smallest things of life and that I can ask for his help and assistance even with the small things. Not again that God always would do it, but at least I'm going to ask because I believe God can do it. Let me give you an example of my own life. It may be strange and stupid to most of you, but here it is. I pray for parking spaces. (laughs) I just do. Now, 
I probably shouldn't because I need the extra exercise. So I probably should park like two miles away from Walmart and walk to the entrance. But usually I'm lazy and I'm like, God, you know, could you, could you give me a close spot? And I'm just convinced that my God, that's not, that's not something beneath him. That's not something too trivial for him. I'm going to ask his help for that. And many times, God provides a close spot. Sometimes he doesn't, but I'm at least by my faith going to ask. Because I've come to believe in my study of the Bible that there's nothing too small, too trivial in my life that God doesn't care about. And God wants me to ask for his help. But God also wants me to come to him in the big things of life too. Truly believing and trusting that after exhausting all my earthly resources and realizing that, you know what, it still doesn't help, that maybe God truly has the answer. Maybe he can finally bring that healing and that help and, and help me to overcome when no one else or nothing else can. Let me give you again a personal example from my life. Many of you know that for years I struggled with anxiety and God delivered me from the everyday struggles of anxiety and all of that. But there's still some things that I don't like to do very much. I would say in a sense I, I do have a fear of certain things or at least, again, I, I just a displeasure in doing it. And I've always been reminded that courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing what I should do and know I need to do in spite of the fear. So I'm not going to allow my fears of certain things to keep me in a little box and paralyze me. I'm going to get out there and live life and enjoy life. So one of the things that I just don't like to do is fly in an airplane. I just don't. Maybe it's because I'm six foot four and trying to put myself in those little seats is uncomfortable. I don't know. But so I, I just never liked to fly. Well, not only that, but a couple of weeks ago, I was faced with doing something even beyond my comfort zone of flying. I had never fl flown over water in my entire life. And I'm like, whoa. You know, it's one thing to fly over land, at least if there's an emergency, get down quick. If you're flying over water, where do you land in water? So like many of us, you know, I started to exhaust the earthly resources. I got on and Googled fear of flying over water and what helps could be out there. Don't do that. They don't help. <laughs> I, I got on this one ex-pilot's website who's trying to comfort those of us who are first time or fearful of flying over water. Here was the bottom line of what he said. Well, you know that you're never more than two and a half hours from land. I'm like, there's a lot that can happen in two and a half hours. You know, that didn't really help comfort me any. So then I finally said, you know what? Gee, maybe God can help me. I'm going to start praying, asking God to help me. And so I said, God, you know that this is what I should do. This is what I want to do. I'm just asking for your help. And I'm not only, only going to ask you to help me do something that I've never went to this level with you, at least in this situation before, but I'm even going to ask, because I believe in you, I'm going to ask that, that 
I don't even just endure this flight over water. I'm going to ask that I enjoy the flight over water. I share this with you as a testimony to our great God. I did enjoy the flight. I had the most enjoyable plane ride I've ever had in my life, and I absolutely, totally, completely attribute it to being willing to ask my great God for something great in my life, and he came through. And if he came through with me, with that, he can come through in your life. I don't know what situation you're struggling with or dealing with in your life. I don't know whether there might be a relationship or a person where God is saying to you this morning, maybe you haven't even asked me for my help yet. Would you consider asking me because I can do something? Because And maybe, maybe you're here today struggling with, could God help me? It's okay. We're glad you're here struggling with, could God help me? I hope for your sake that you will get to the point in your walk with God where you will come to the point where you truly believe as a centurion, yeah, there's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing too big for God. God could help me. The only thing, the only tension may be, would God help me? But that tension is not so great that it won't, it will stop you from asking for his help. Saying, God, would you help? Would you help me in this relationship with this person? Would you help me in this situation that I'm finding myself in in life? God, I'm, I'm asking you for something I've never asked you for before. I'm, I'm seeking you at a level and trusting you on a level I've never had to trust you like that for before. Whether it's with family or friends or finances or whatever it is, but God, help me to do this. I think that's why God put Luke chapter 7, the story of the centurion in the Bible, to encourage us to trust him in things and for things like we never have before. The centurion did. He didn't have some great spiritual background or foundation or advantage, but he acted upon what he knew. He responded to the light that he had. And because he did that, God built into his life a, a life of love, humility, and faith. A faith that was going to drive him to Jesus. A Roman centurion who had the dilemma of being this strong Roman soldier in the Roman Empire, and yet he willingly placed himself under the authority of a poor Jewish rabbi named Jesus Christ of Nazareth because he had become convinced that Jesus not only could heal his servant, but that Jesus would heal his servant. He just needed to ask Jesus to do it. The Bible teaches us we have not because we ask not. And God wants to build into our lives a level of faith where we will at least ask. It may not always work out the way we asked it. The answer may not come back exactly the way we asked it. But God does answer our prayers. And God wants us to have enough faith to ask. What is it that you and I need to ask God about today? Won't you come and consider asking our great God for great things in your life 
and for your life today. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the story of the centurion. Thank you, Lord, for the example that he is to all of us. Most of all, Lord, today, I'm just asking that each of us would allow your spirit to work in our lives in such a way that we would be willing to trust you, believe in you, have faith in you, Lord, on a level that we've never had before. For some specific relationship or person like the centurion who is asking on behalf of his young servant who was dying. Or maybe it's for some life situation or obstacle or something, Lord, that we're wrestling with, just like I wrestled with flying over water. God, whatever that is, I just pray that our faith would drive us to you, the God with no limitations, with all power, all authority, all grace, all strength. Help us to shine for you, God. Help us to live for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.